Almighty God, we ask that you would quiet the rush in our lives, that you would silence all words but your own, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds and our spirits to receive your word this day. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that God the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them. Our epistle reading comes from the first letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And our gospel reading this morning is a continuation from last week's reading. We continue in the book of Matthew, 
chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will not ever get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I love the church calendar. I loved it even when I was a little kid. And nobody ever accused me of being a normal little kid. One of my very favorite pieces of art is this print that I bought a few years ago at a conference, and it's called the Church Year LP. It shows the church year as a record with different colors for the different seasons. It has the four main colors that we use up front for the pulpit and the communion table that I wear on my stoles. White to indicate our holiest days like Christmas and Easter, red for the Holy Spirit, purple or sometimes blue for waiting times like Advent and Lent, and green for everything else, 
Now, I know that in some circles, the liturgical calendar has sort of fallen out of popularity. Even in the Presbyterian Church, many congregations don't pay it much heed or have sort of relegated it to things that we do because we do them, but we're not entirely sure why we do them or when we started doing them. I think that there's something very holy and special, though, about the liturgical calendar, the church calendar. It helps us find a spiritual rhythm. It walks us through scripture in a regular pattern, so we don't miss out on any part of the story in our worship and in our study and prayer. When we gloss over or forget about this flow of the church year, we miss out on such a deep and important part of spiritual discipline and community life. It connects our own lives and rhythms to those we read about in Scripture. We are currently in the very last weeks of the ordinary time. You know it's ordinary time when everything is green up front. The ordinary time section between Christmas and Lent, in which we celebrate Epiphany. Epiphany is a celebration of the revelation of Jesus to the world. It's when Jesus was made known to all. We start off Epiphany on Epiphany Sunday, talking about the star that the wise men followed to find the young Messiah. Moving on through the weeks that follow to talk about our role in making the good news of Jesus Christ known to the whole world. Sisters and brothers, we need epiphany. The scriptures that we read this time in the church year are about the beginning of Jesus' ministry and revelation to the world. But we aren't just celebrating Jesus' ministry and revelation way back in history. We are celebrating the ways that we continue Jesus' ministry and revelation right here, right now. Epiphany is not just a celebration of something that happened once upon a time, but a celebration of something that started at the manger and continues today through the work and the mission of the church. Last week, we talked about being salt and light and how all of our pious religious celebration is nothing if it doesn't change the way we interact with the world. And we can apply this as well to how we use the church calendar and seasons. Each season in the traditional church calendar calls us to focus on a specific way of being and interacting. If we talk about the revelation of Jesus in the world during Epiphany, without thinking about how we participate in revealing Jesus to others, it's pointless chatter. And in today's passages, we see a continuation of that same theme. We can act in any kind of way, good or bad, but if our heart is in the wrong place, our actions are empty. We have to be congruent. We have to match inside and out. You can avoid murder and assault, but if you so much as have hate in your heart, you're still missing the point. You can stay away from adultery, but even thinking lustfully about someone shows that there is something still awry 
in your heart. You can follow the law's letter on allowances for something like divorce, the example that Jesus uses here, but if you're just using the law's loopholes for frivolous purposes or for your own whims and gains, you're still breaking the law in your heart. If there is quarreling, bickering, petty argument in the church, as there were in the church in Corinth, you are still letting culture and sin run the way you operate. As disciples, we are called to practice true righteousness, not just outer righteousness, and not just going through the pious motions of religious gathering and discipline. It's not just not doing things because they're wrong. It's not doing things because they are no longer part of who you are. When our inner self and our outer actions are disconnected, we fail to be truly righteous, and we put the gospel light under that bushel basket from last week's passage. Deuteronomy tells us that when our hearts aren't in the right place, when we haven't made God the focus of our heart and our actions, other idols will take that place of honor in our lives, and that is what sets us on that path of being mismatched inside and out. These other gods are not generally actual idols today. They take other forms, like membership numbers and program quality, money and prestige, political affiliations, nostalgia, power, social image, social media, television, the need to be right or to have the last word, belonging to the right church, following the right pastor or religious leader, and so much more. Our passage in Deuteronomy goes on to instruct the people how to move forward if they want to survive for the sake of their children and their grandchildren. If you want to dwell in the promised land, God tells the people of Israel, choose life. Then, you and your descendants will live and thrive in the promised land. I'm reading a book right now called Can Our Church Live? The title alone sums up the fears of so many churches today. Churches that were chartered with a couple dozen members, then grew to a couple hundred, have found themselves back to being a couple dozen Congregations that once boasted large Sunday school programs and community outreach struggle to find that one amazing program or outreach that will bring it all back. And this book surely does provide some great strategies for renewal. The thing about renewal is that all the programs and strategies and great leaders a church can find cannot force it to happen. Renewal is not a program. It is not something that is ushered in just because the new pastor is under 40. Barely. Renewal won't just happen when a few more families with kids walk in the door. There is no one cookie-cutter strategy that will fill the pews again. And this is where I say, don't panic. I am not saying that as a small church, we have no hope. 
This does not mean that small churches are sunk. It just means that we have to change our mindset and our focus. Because renewal is a choice. It is a choice that you all are given as a community. It's not my choice. It's yours. Now, I am thrilled to be called to lead that charge. And I think that epiphany is exactly the right time in the church year to take that choice on. But I cannot make that choice for you. The first step in making that choice is choosing to trust that God works through those who follow Christ and Christ alone. Choosing life means choosing our identities in Christ. Choosing life as the church means that we visibly and publicly follow Jesus. We do not belong to Paul or Apollos. We do not belong to the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. We do not belong to a particular neighborhood or club or clique. And we have to reconcile. We have to make peace. We have to find unity to make that happen. We have to be righteous above and beyond the call and the letter of the law, both in our hearts and in our actions. So then, how do we choose to follow Jesus and the abundant life he offers during Epiphany to focus solely on Christ and Christ alone? That is a tall order. Deuteronomy says that we choose life by loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. It can be hard to hear God's voice in our loud and cluttered world. Everywhere you turn, there are headlines and books and television and cultural stigmas and categories and stereotypes and the way things are done and noise, noise, noise. It's very difficult to hone in on God's voice in the midst of all of that. And it is difficult to hone in on God's voice when we don't always know how God is going to speak to us on a day-to-day -day basis. In scripture, we see God speak in a still, small voice and in a booming voice accompanied by a dove sent from heaven in a burning bush. It's another one of the reasons that the church seasons are so important. They can help to focus us on God's voice. And today I'm going to offer you one small way of practicing listening. We're going to do this together as a community. It is simple, but it is powerful. It is something that everyone from the very young to the very old and everyone in between can do. I honestly don't know if this is an old tradition that has resurged in recent years, as many have, or if it is a brand new one that ties beautifully into the practice of church seasons, but either way, it's pretty cool. As I mentioned before, Epiphany starts when Jesus' birth is revealed to the wise men. God spoke to them in a very interesting way, a star. So I have our ushers 
coming up to help. They will have stacks of cardboard stars. And they will randomly hand you one. No peeking, no cheating, no trading. You may complain if you don't like the word that is on your star, but I won't give you a new one. This is a word that you get to spend all of the next year using as a focus point in your time with God. Next epiphany, we will switch it up and get new stars. You can hang this somewhere prominent, so you see it all the time. Some people like to hang it on the fridge. There was a family at my last church who wrote their names on them and hung all of them on the fridge so they could hold each other accountable for their words. I have a friend who keeps hers on her computer monitor at work. There are websites where you can get them printed on little medallions for bracelets or necklaces if you really want to get into it. Just put it somewhere it will be with you frequently. Make it the background on your phone, whatever works for you. Ask God to help you figure out what you are meant to hear from it and how that relates to your work in the church and the community, the way you are with the people around you. You might love the word you were handed. You might hate the word you were handed, but again, no trading, and you can ask, but I will not give you a new one. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak through randomly distributed pieces of cardboard. You might think that you have already wrestled that word or idea into the ground, and maybe it's time to ask God what you missed in the first go-round. You might have no idea where to even start. So look it up in the dictionary. Borrow one of my dictionaries or Bible indexes. I have plenty to spare. See if that word is in the index in your own Bible or in the index in the hymnal. Maybe you meditate through music. Talk to your family, your spouse, your friends, to me, to whomever about it. Maybe they'll have some insight about how God might use that word. Spouses, please be gentle. If your spouse comes to you confused by a word that seems like an obvious problem area for them to you, just take my word for it on that one. And of course, you can expect me to be asking you about your word throughout the year, so don't forget what it is. I will put you on the spot. And just to be fair, I will share with you all the word that I drew this year. It is endurance. I am a little baffled by it because I am already signed up for two and a half marathons in the next four months. Someone pointed out to me that maybe that has to do with the fact that I'm now getting used to doing two church services every Sunday morning instead of one. So you all may feel free to check in with me from time to time about how I am doing with my non-running related exploration of endurance. My husband has celebration, and he admits to finding that a strange word to work with for a whole year every single day. What I love are the ones my kids drew. My constantly bickering 8- and 10-year-old drew grace and tolerance. And my 16-year-old drew the word obedience. They were random. I promise you that. (laughs) I don't want you to see this as a practice that might or might not bear fruit. 
I want you to assume that it will. I can attest to the fact that for two years now, I have seen God speak volumes to the folks at my last church through these simple words on cardboard stars. Because when you come to God expectantly, you will hear God speak. Jesus will be revealed when you spend time dwelling on where you are meant to serve in God's plans for the world. Renewal begins, my dear ones, when each person chooses to pursue full life in Jesus Christ. May blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.